It's time for episode 423 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM. Recorded Wednesday, November 3rd, 2021. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast where it's time that haunts us. My name is Dan Moore, and I'm one of your co-hosts. And across the internet from me is my co-host, my good friend, my pal, my dungeon buddy. It's Micah Sargent. How are you doing today, Micah? I'm doing quite well, Dan. Thank you for asking. I, you're welcome. <laughs> are we doing vampire voices today? Is that is that what we're doing? That was more of a <laughs> notification popping up in the middle of me speaking, which caused me to pause, <laughs> and it may have sounded vaguely vampiric. Okay, that's fair. I'm not judging. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is the show where we invite on two fantastic guests to talk about four tech topics with us. To my left this week, it is a first-timer here on Clockwise, a senior strategy analyst at Peric Analytics and the co-host of the brand new and fabulous podcast Downstream right here on Relay FM. It's Julia. Alexander. Welcome, Julia. Hi, thank you for having me. I could have slowed that down, I guess, and made it more vampiric, but I didn't. <laughs> we do what we can. <laughs> and to my left, it is author, photographer, and now prolific podcaster, Jeff Carlson. Welcome back to the show, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me on. Good to be here. All right. Well, I'm going to kick things off today with my first topic. Microsoft is rolling out the ability to use virtual avatars in its Teams meetings. I want to know if this appeals to you or really basically anybody. Like, why do people keep trying to make the metaverse happen? <laughs> Julia? It's so interesting reading and just watching and talking so much about the metaverse because I came up covering video games and kind of the world of VR when I was a younger journalist. And a lot of what is being promised is effectively this beautiful combination of like VR chat, Second City and Twitch all rolled into one. Um, and so the idea that we are now debating whether like Microsoft, which needs to first fix teams before it even tries to figure out how to make its avatars work in a metaverse setting is happening in 2021. Uh, and we're, we're talking about these companies that are giant, terrifying conglomerates uh, that oversee every aspect of our lives is like somewhat dystopian to me still. And I don't know if I want the company who gives, who gives me Excel to be worried about the metaverse necessarily, but yeah. Um, uh, interesting. I kind of I, I agree with Julia there that uh, it is a little odd to have this company that brings Excel uh, to to our doorsteps as one that's doing the metaverse. But on the other hand, I do not just want it to, to be Facebook. Um, so seeing Microsoft play its own potential role in the introduction of uh, the metaverse in some way, I think is good. Um, I want multiple companies and individuals and creators and everybody all working together to uh, make this happen so that nobody can sort of put their stake in the ground. I don't want Meta um, to be the only one with a flag on the moon, uh, the virtual moon, as it were. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't mind it per se, uh, but I wouldn't say that it appeals to me uh, at the same time. Jeff, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, well, this is one of those things where I think that 
a lot of people will, you know, set up their virtual avatars and they'll try it and they'll say, huh, that's not a whole lot. And then go back to whatever they were doing, probably no video or some video. It's like, it's a neat idea, but it doesn't appeal to me whatsoever. Just, you know, having avatars in Teams meetings and things like that. And yet, you know, you have people who change their backgrounds in all sorts of crazy things and put on little AR uh, extra, you know, horns and glasses. And so I think maybe I'm just completely out of this demographic, but I don't know. Like, of course, Microsoft is going to do it. Are they going to succeed the way they succeed at most new things? Eh, probably not. Yeah, I I think I have to agree. I think the biggest thing to me that's a little weird about it is the interaction between the virtual environment and the real environment. Like the fact that it's like we can generate this very, you know, uh, cartoony avatar view, but we're still going to put it in a box like it's a camera is looking at it, which to me seems very strange. It's like <laughs> taking all the worst elements of your meetings <laughs> and then adding like generated video characters into them. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I can see the appeal in some cases. A lot of people have talked about not wanting to have their cameras on in calls, but sometimes that leads to situations where people really aren't interacting. I'm not convinced it'll be that much better if you're staring at a virtual avatar instead of a person's face. Um, it just seems very strange to me, but it's certainly, given all we've seen from Microsoft and Facebook and some other companies as well, it seems like lots of people are trying to make this happen. I just am still not entirely sure whether or not it's something that will catch on or this is just a weird fad that we're going to have to blow through and move on to something else. But thank you all for your thoughts on that. We're going to go to our second topic now, which comes from Julia. My topic question post for you guys is Netflix games. Do they need them? Do we want them? Do we think this works out for them? For anyone listening who's not aware, Netflix is rolling out in the United States. Uh, they already did it in a few other countries uh, internationally. They're rolling out a handful of mobile games on Android devices. This is anything from your a Stranger Things kind of mobile game they did a few years ago. They basically revamped it to stuff like uh, brick breaker essentially kind of anything along those lines that we think of as traditional old ios games um but these aren't on ios of course they're on android so i want to pose it to you guys do you think netflix needs games so I, i've thought about this uh ever since the rumor first kind of hit and here's uh, as a person who i play amazon luna uh, i use amazon luna to play games um it sort of made me into a gamer it's a very weird thing i'm not really a gamer but i sort of am now and <laughs> i don't know how to deal with that but the important point is um using luna luna is it's not a game publishing platform it is more just a way to get into uh different games that exist and i think that netflix would succeed in this particular way quite well uh being the sort of entryway to different games because what does netflix do very well it streams very well it streams video to all sorts of internet connections to all sorts of people across all sorts of countries and that is essentially what uh, this modern video game streaming system is. It's streaming video that is has a little bit extra built into it where your what you do on a controller is also communicated uh, to the server and then the the motions and whatnot are streamed back at you. So when it comes to facilitating 
the gameplay, I think Netflix is very good at that. So even if it doesn't succeed in being a game publisher, I think it should continue to uh, consider being a means by which people play different games uh, online. Jeff, your thoughts? Well, I can't see that Netflix needs games, but I can absolutely see why they're doing it. Because at its heart, Netflix is an attention company. They're not trying to bring up more advertisers. They're not trying to uh, do anything sort of traditional in terms of, of broadcasting and engagement. They want your attention. And so when they don't have your attention watching their shows or watching their original content or their TV series, why not do games? Because there are a lot of people who do casual games and more involved games. And if they can capture that time and capture that attention, that's much better for them in terms of bringing on more talent and bringing on more subscribers. I think it it totally makes sense. I don't know how broad it will appeal to people, but I can see it from from their perspective as being, well, this is a demographic that we can take a little bit of a, a carve out of and it'll be better for us overall, especially given whatever resources that they have put into it. Yeah, I think you're right about the attention. I think that hits the nail on the head. They want to keep people in Netflix and subscribing to Netflix as much as possible. As far as whether, I here's the thing: content, as we all say, content is king, and that's true regardless of whether it's games or just sort of stream TV or what have you. So, if the games are good and people play them, then it's a good move. But the question is going to be: Do you recoup your investment on the amount of time you spend developing these games? And for that matter, are these games that you're spending a lot of time money developing, or you just be like, well, we'll just sort of toss off something kind of basic, and then you know, hopefully they'll get people's attention. I think a lot of game uh, developers have just demonstrated that that equation doesn't usually work. People can tell when games are not you know really crafted very well, and so people quickly move on from them. I think that's one big question: is Netflix is used to having people flip through these huge catalogs of streaming stuff. If they only have a handful of games here and there, or people are jumping between games a lot, uh, what is sort of their model there? Are they looking for something that's more disposable and more casual? Or are they looking for something that's more in involved? I'm not really sure where they're going with that. But I think at the end of the day, uh, they're smart to say, look, there's a lot of other game streaming services out there. We're already in the streaming business. Why not add games to our portfolios and at least give it a try and see if it works? Julia, any last thoughts for us? The only the only other thought that I have is that Netflix's biggest competition has always been games more so than any of the other traditional kind of um, passive entertainment companies that produce what we think of as films and TVs now uh, TV shows now that may change in the metaverse. Um, but I think that what Netflix really wants is to increase the engagement and the, se the session time that people have in order to really cement themselves as a necessity across all various interests, not just when you want to watch something. And I think this also just kind of deepens their IP and it deepens the possibility of franchises and it makes those household names in ways that they aren't even yet. Um, and so I think, I think it's a necessity for them whether or not they bring this into a AAA development cycle and then really encounter the issues that gaming developers and that publishers have had dealt with for so long, which is making a game takes much more time and, and energy and, and teams than making a film or, or a TV show, um, we'll see. But for now, what they're trying to do just seems like a logical expansion of what they've already been doing. 
Well said. All right, that's two topics down, two topics left to go, which of course means it's halftime here on Clockwise. And to tell us about one of our sponsors, I'm going to turn it over to Micah. Yes, because this episode of Clockwise is brought to you by Text Expander from our pals at Smile. Do you ever type the same thing over and over and over and maybe over again? Well, whether it's customer support answers, sales emails, or document edits, typing things repetitively or using copy and paste can be a burden. And that's where Text Expander comes in. With Text Expander, you and your team can keep your message consistent, save time and be more productive, and of course, be accurate every time. The way we work is changing rapidly. Make work happen wherever you are by saying more in less time and with less effort using Text Expander. I use Text Expander every day of my life. It is the tool for uh, setting up date slugs, for uh, typing long bits of text, for uh, easily entering my email into things. Instead of having to type out the entire email, I can just type out a few characters. It makes things happen so quickly that it's one of the things I notice. Oh, I forgot to install that on a, you know, a new Mac setup. I love Text Expander. And I love like sharing Text Expander snippets with other people as well. As a listener of Clockwise... You can check out Text Expander. I really think that's the way to learn kind of how this program works and what you can do with it. And as a listener, you can get 20% off your first year. You visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. That's textexpander.com slash podcast. And of course, our thanks to Text Expander from Smile for their support of this show, Relay FM and support of my day-to-day life using Text Expander. Thanks so much. And back from the break, it is time for my topic. Uh, Zoom is trialing ads for free users. So I think it's after a call ends, um, that little screen will show you an ad. And it had me thinking kind of just generally, does your brain block out ads like mine does or do you feel susceptible to online advertising? Do you think online advertising works on you? Uh, Jeff, we'll start with you. Uh, I don't think it works on me. I think it gives me the opposite effect of I feel like I get more tunnel vision because I am blocking out things that are on the edges or, or you know being popped up. Um, if it's just an ad that shows up after a call – that actually seems reasonable for a free account. If we were talking and then suddenly something <laughs> popped up on the bottom, uh, I think that would just elicit lots of swearing and probably would not be a good experience. Although it would not surprise me if at some point they tried that or somebody tried that, Microsoft maybe. Um, but yeah, like I feel like I've been able to block a lot of this out, but maybe it's just because we see so much of it. And I think even so, there's like a little bit of a a psychic toll. Like you feel mm-hmm. more tired mm-hmm. when you get bombarded with ads, even if you are not really registering what they are. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Like I, I do feel inured to it in the sense of I rarely want to click on them. But yeah, you do you're sort of in your periphery. It's always there. And sometimes it sort of jumps in front of your face. I mean I can't begrudge them for wanting to make money off their free product that, you know, <laughs> they, they can draw people in and make them paid subscribers. But at a certain point, that starts to top out and you're looking for alternative sorts of revenue. That's the way our economy works. 
but I don't love the idea personally, and it's certainly something that either might convince me to pay or move to another platform. So there is always the risk slash reward in that regard. Uh, if it's just something at the end of a call, as Jeff said, I don't think it's terrible. Uh, I do worry that they'll start <laughs> interjecting little ads as we're talking in our conversation. Just like, we'll just drop in an ad right in this break here. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. this is my <laughs> podcast. I do the ads. Um, so uh, I don't know. I mean, advertising in general on the internet is has always been kind of a contentious business in terms of how well it works and its effects on consumers. So I'm not sure this is a great way to go, but, uh, you know, I, I again... They're, they want to make money off something they're giving away for free. I can't really blame them for that. Julia? When I think of why I would use Zoom, it would only be for work reasons or to talk to family. Um, I'm not thinking of using Zoom for anything outside of that. And the idea that instead of paying for it, I could do it via an ad supported option or um, there's this, you know, this ability to have advertisements appear in order to just use the software feels disingenuous it almost feels gross to me it's like the one form of of connection that people still have with each other and obviously once a company becomes successful and the product becomes successful advertisers want to be there and the companies want to see additional forms of revenue which can come as we know in the form of advertising um quite large uh, quite large impact but it's just it just feels like a utility at this point for so many people and the idea that I'm going to have to sit there and sift through an ad or click on an ad or have to deal with the obnoxious things I deal with on YouTube to watch a video or, or whatever in order to have an actual conversation with someone about something near and dear in my life, whether that's a job or whether that's you know something going on with my niece, for example. I don't like it and I think it's going to leave a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths, especially when there are other alternatives to go to um, that are not as expensive or not as obnoxious advertisement wise. Yeah. Ultimately, I think, um, I, as, as, as I said in the intro of the question, I, I'm pretty good at blocking out ads. I think the only ads that get to me, and it's one that a lot of people sort of joke about, it is Instagram. Uh, if I'm scrolling through and I see something that's mm-hmm. interesting and then later I, you know, after I've already kind of absorbed it, I look up and I'm like, Oh, this was an ad <laughs> in the stream. Um, and so it does a good job. Although now Instagram thinks that I am a dentist or a um, <laughs> some sort of of bone surgeon uh, because I made the mistake of looking at a few videos of dental work, and I also am very fascinated by sort of like surgical. Uh, operations. So I've gotten, uh, not only do I like my discover page is entirely just those videos of, of dental work and all this other stuff, but I get advertisements for like, try out this new way to help your patients with this, that, and the other. <laughs> so it's really kind of interesting how quickly that shifts, but um, it kind of just makes the advertising a bit of a joke. Uh, so thank you all for your thoughts and your answers on that one. Let's go to our final topic, which comes from Jeff. All right. Well, so I've ordered an M1 Max MacBook Pro, and I'm trading in my current Intel MacBook Pro to make the purchase affordable. Uh, And it dawned on me that for the first time in many, many years, I will not have a Mac that can run Windows in virtualization. I mean, remember how amazing it was that you could run Windows on a Mac natively using Boot Camp? So if you need to dip into Windows occasionally now, what is your solution? 
Uh, clarify for me, Jeff. What is Windows? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. If you need a virtualized environment on your ah, computer, thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I don't end up using. Um, I haven't had to use Windows in a very long time, so uh, there's rarely stuff that I need to do for that. I almost always try to find a workaround. Um, I'm kind of interested a little bit in, um, Microsoft's rolling out their, what is it? Windows 365, is that what it called? Where they have like a web-based Windows you can use, um, which has started rolling out, I think in the enterprise, but not necessarily to end users. I think that's an interesting solution because I can easily envision a point at which like, oh, I need to just run an app that only runs on Windows or do something that only works on Windows. I just need to dip in and dip out pretty fast. It was always a bit of an ordeal to set up you know, at least boot camp and having to go through the entire process of installing stuff um, just to have that thing that I might occasionally reboot into and use or even on virtualization, it, you know, dedicate a huge chunk of your hard drive to like virtual machines. So yeah, I, I just I found it it was always more trouble than it really ended up getting me because the only thing that I wanted to do in Windows that I couldn't do on my Mac generally was play games. And most of those solutions were not great for those anyways. So for me, it's not a huge loss, but I definitely understand that there are people who uh, who still need that functionality and won't be able to necessarily do it immediately anyways with M1 based Macs. Julia? This is when I come in and say that I'm still using like a 2015 MacBook Pro and that I am the worst with any type of tech upgrades because I fear change. Uh, and anytime Apple's like, we have a new <laughs> iOS and all my friends jump on it and they're very excited. A lot of my friends are former, um, Apple genius employees. So they're extremely on it. And I'm like, Oh no, but I, what if things change? Uh, and they do. Um, so I have no idea. That's my answer. And I wonder how many people are out there maybe feel similarly, which is I just want my Mac to be, um, good for 20 years and not have to worry about it ever again. Um, but I, I will say, <laughs> I, I, the, the new chip, um, is very attempting. It's a tempting offer because I've just looked at the battery life and how well it performs running simple things like Chrome. Uh, and I would just like to be able to run Chrome without having my computer feel like it's going to take off, um, and fly across the Hudson. So I, I, my question to everyone is, should I get the new MacBook? I don't know. I don't need, need Windows, but yeah, I, I would. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. So for me, um, I have a very easy hack. It's called, I've got a Surface Laptop 3. Um, and so anytime I need to use Windows, I pull over that machine. It's a, it's a blue one and it's got that Alcantara nonsense on it. And so I call it Elvis because it's got blue suede. Um, and so Elvis <laughs> is the Surface Laptop 3 that runs the latest version of Windows. And so I can just uh, pop over to that whenever I need to, to run Windows. I don't have to virtualize. Uh, but I do feel you, Jeff. I, I understand. And yes, perhaps, um, Microsoft 365, uh, cloud PC will be something you can check out in the future when they make it more, uh, cost effective for folks who aren't in the enterprise. Yeah. My assumption was that I would just hold on to this, this MacBook Pro that I have here specifically to run it as a virtualized environment sometimes because I tend to use uh, Lightroom and some other apps that are cross-platform that I need to write about and test on. But because I'm giving this up, because, I mean, honestly, Apple's giving me a really great trade-in amount 
to make this this possible. And I, I also agree, I'm really looking forward to being able to use my computer and not have it heat up the entire room and blast uh, the fans so loud that I have to put on noise-canceling headphones. I think... I, th- I mean, I hate to say this, but I think my solution is I'm going to buy an inexpensive little desktop PC. <laughs> it it feels Ooh. weird and dirty, but <laughs> I guess it'll work, right? <laughs> I, I suppose it will. Uh, all right. That is four topics down. We've got just enough time for a bonus topic. But before we get to the bonus topic, I need to tell you about our other sponsor this week. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. Today's internet users expect a fast web experience. No matter how targeted your marketing content, how sleek your website is, they'll bounce if a page is loading too slow. But with real user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover how website performance affects your visitor's experience. So you can take action before your business is impacted, all for as low as $10 a month. Whether your visitors are dispersed around the world or across browsers, devices, and platforms, Pingdom helps you identify bottlenecks, troubleshoot performance, and make informed optimizations. Real user monitoring is an event-based solution, so it's built for scalability. That means you can monitor millions of page views, not just sample data, at an affordable price. Get live site performance visibility today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you're ready to buy, use the code CLOCKWISE at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. All right, bonus topic really quick. My question for you is what goes on your toast? Butter, jam, both, neither, something else? Julia? It's a little bit of butter, the hard butter, because I like when it melts. I don't like margarine. And then some strawberry jelly or um, rhubarb jelly. And the toast has to be like perfectly golden brown. Right, nice. Nice. Um, I can't eat toast, uh, but when I used to, I just liked some butter and some preserves. I need those little seeds in there. Yummy, yummy. <laughs> Jeff, what about you? <laughs> uh, for me, melted butter and cinnamon sugar. Well, good choice. I usually tend to be a butter and sometimes cinnamon sugar, but every once in a while, a little bit of jam. And I agree with Julia about the toast. It's got to be golden brown. That's the, You need that crunch. All right. Yeah, obviously. That is all we have time for today. And all that remains is for us to thank our fantastic guests this week. Julia Alexander, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. And Jeff Carlson, thanks so much for being here. Uh, Thank you very much. And Micah will be back next week. But until then, we remind everybody listening out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.